the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. Don't you sit at home and think that God's going to drop the answer in your lap? You still, I still have the opportunity to be engaged in life and do something. David says, I'm going to go to church. I'm going to worship the Lord. I'm waiting for him. Might as well worship him while I'm waiting for him. Please do not wait to worship God after he's answered your prayers. Worship God while you wait. And honor him in the waiting. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Psalms. When we are waiting for God to answer our prayers, it is important that we stay active. Pastor Gary teaches us today that if God places us in a state of waiting, we should not use that as an excuse to be lazy. Instead, we should stay active in worshiping Him. If you are waiting to hear from God, don't allow yourself to stop living life. Instead, seek out God and ways in which you can serve Him. As Christians, it is our duty to set up our sails so that God can be the wind and rudder of our lives. Be sure that you have your sails set. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in Psalms chapter 27 for part two of today's message titled, The Discipline of Waiting. By the way, I never once have found throughout the Bible any verse that commands us to hurry. It's not there. Because the Bible understands our tendency by nature is to be impatient. We want God to work now. We want him to work how we want it, when we want it. But David understood here, and this is why he writes Psalm 27 in part, that God does not operate on our timetable. And yet, God is always on time. His timing is always perfect. Now, here in Psalm 27, if you look at this chapter with me, David seems to be in some kind of trouble or distress. He's writing here with anxious heart. He talks about in verse 1, for example, dealing with fear, being afraid. In verses 2 and 3, he refers to evil men advancing against him, enemies attacking him, an army besieging him. All right, this is the day of battle. David was a warrior, so even he, as as a valiant warrior, is afraid. Of dying. He's afraid of war. He's, he's afraid of what this means for him personally and for the nation. And he's got some fear in here. And, and yet, throughout, and by the way, even in verse 5, he talks about the day of trouble. 
But throughout the whole chapter here, David also talks about his confidence in the Lord and how, for example, verse 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. That's why he says, okay, I'm afraid, but because the Lord is my light and my salvation, of whom shall I be afraid? It gets swallowed up in in the Lord. My fear does. It gets swallowed up in the Lord. He's my light. He's my salvation. Verse 2, the Lord is the stronghold of my life. Verse 5, he says, the Lord will keep me safe in his dwelling and set me high upon a rock. So he, you know, I love his raw emotion all through the psalm. So he talks about being afraid. He talks about fear. He talks about his enemies. He talks about the day of trouble. But yet at the same time, we see here that he's not wilting under the pressure because he understands that God is his stronghold. God is his light. God is his salvation. And so therefore his confidence is in the Lord. And he's actually, we see here through chapter 27, he's actually got a game plan of what to do while he's waiting on God to take care of him. Because if you'll notice in the middle of this chapter, the section, verses 5 and 6, is in the future tense. In other words, he's trusting God even though God has not answered his needs yet. So it's future tense. He's by faith saying, I'm going to do this. I'm going to look at, look at verses 5 and 6 again. He says, for in the day of trouble, he, the Lord, will keep me safe in his dwelling. He hasn't yet, but he's saying, I just trust the Lord. He will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his tabernacle will I sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. So these things haven't been answered in David's life yet. He's saying all these things he's going to do while he waits. And so for those of you taking notes this morning, there is actually a strategy that he explains to us here in chapter 27 that helps us understand the discipline of waiting. And the first one is waiting is doing. Okay, because when he talks here about, I've got this fear, I'm I'm concerned about this, and you know, my enemies and all this kind of stuff... Yet he talks here in future tense because he knows, but this is what God's going to do for me. And look at what he does while he waits. That was all verses 5 and 6 of what I just read. He says, for in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle, set me high upon a rock. And then he talks here about how I will sacrifice, verse 6, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy, where? In the tabernacle. And I will sing and make music to the Lord. So David doesn't just sit back and expect that God's going to deal with whatever his situation is. He actually does something, all right? And what he does is he goes to church. He's like, I'm going to go to the tabernacle, and I'm going to worship the one on whom I'm waiting for my needs to be met, for my situation. Whatever the fear, whatever the anxiety, whatever the, the answer to the question that you've posed to God, don't just sit at home and think that, God's going to drop the answer in your lap. You still, I still have the opportunity to be engaged in life and do something. David says, I'm going to go to church. And I'm going to worship the Lord. I'm waiting for him. Might as well worship him while I'm waiting for him. Please do not wait to worship God after he's answered your prayers. Worship God while you wait. And honor him in the waiting. By acknowledging him as good and faithful and loving in all his ways, even though your answers are not all given yet. You know, look, some of you are waiting, for example, for a job. 
But you don't sit at home and wait for the phone to ring. You, you still are engaged. You do something, right? You put your resume together. You go to interviews. You do some networking, all right? God is faithful to provide you the job, but he wants you to do something too. Just don't sit at home. Those of you who want to get married, you want to get married, great. Do something though. Don't sit at home and think, someone's going to knock at my door and say, I've been sent from God. <laughs> no. Go somewhere where people are. If you want to get married, you're going to have to kind of meet some people. And by the way, a little word of advice. Don't go clubbing and think you're going to find a good spouse. All right? You know, I run into people every once in a while like, you know, Pastor Gary, pray for me because I, I want to get married. All right, well, where are you meeting people? Well, I'm going to some bars. Really? Do you understand that if you want to find a spouse, you know, why do people go to bars to find people who don't go to bars? I've never understood that. Listen, go to church. Go to church. You will find, I found my wife at church. I found my wife, or should I say, which camera? She found me at church. <laughs> right. No, 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 that's not true. I found her, trust me. If she ever leaves me, I'm going with her. I'm telling you what. I... All three of our kids found spouses here at Cornerstone Chapel. You too can make the Cornerstone connection, friends. <laughs> yes, you can. But you're actually going to have to do something, all right? G. Campbell Morgan said this. He said, quote, waiting for God is not laziness. Waiting for God is not going to sleep. Waiting for God is not the abandonment of effort, end quote. So we wait... But we do something. David went into the house of the Lord. He said, I'm going to praise God while I'm waiting. I'm going to still do something, though I trust him and though I'm waiting. We also see here in the chapter that waiting number two is praying. I want you to notice verses 7 through 10. This is David's prayer within this psalm. He says in verse 7, Hear my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, O God, my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Now, I want you to notice that in this prayer here, he prays for two things. One, he prays for God's mercy. God is a merciful God, and that's the way he begins this in verse 7. Hear my voice when I call you, O Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. God is merciful. He forgives us of our sins. He does things for us we don't deserve. He has compassion for us. He is a merciful, loving, forgiving God. Amen to that? Yes? He is merciful. And David says, and he appeals to a merciful God. He says, Lord, you are merciful. You know my situation. You know, you know I've been waiting. You know my fears. You know my anxieties. You know my stress. You know my worries. You know everything about me. I appeal to your mercy. Be merciful to me. And then the other thing that he prays for that is interesting here is he prays that God will not reject him. Look again at verse 9, where David says, Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. Do not reject me or forsake me. He's pleading with God. Don't, don't do this. And then he compares it to the rejection he experienced from his parents in verse 10. When he says, though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Now, why is he talking like this? Why is he wondering and praying about 
whether or not God will reject him. And he's pleading, God, please don't forsake me. Please don't reject me. Why would he talk like that? Here's the reason why. If you've ever waited on the Lord for something, sometimes his silence can be interpreted as rejection. When you don't receive the answer or the response or the reply that you want from God quickly enough, you can sometimes misinterpret the silence in the waiting that God has forsaken you. And this is what I love about David. He just, he just express, he's tangled up in this same thought process too. He's like, please God, you know, don't, don't forsake me. Don't reject me. Don't, don't turn away in anger from me. But then he processes it, compares it even to how his parents rejected him. We don't know really anything about it. I've spoken about this verse uh, in previous weeks, how it appears that something in David's childhood, uh, he, he had it rough with his parents because he, he mentions it here just in passing. And I love that point as well. He doesn't, he doesn't focus on it. He doesn't go into the details. He just says, you know what? I felt rejected and forsaken by my own mom and dad. But he processes all of this and then he says, but the Lord will receive me. He says, anybody else can reject me, but Lord, I know you will receive me. So I just want to say that if any of you are in a long period of waiting, and kind of the longer you wait, the more excruciating it can be, and you're wondering, why doesn't God answer my prayer, and why doesn't God do this for me and do that for me, in, in that silence, please don't think that God is rejecting you, because the Lord will receive you, and he loves us. His silence should not be misinterpreted as is the absence of his love or his, or his care. He is not rejecting you. He is not forsaking you. His timing is just perfect. And it doesn't correspond necessarily to our timetable. The other thing I wanted to point out to you here is notice verse 8 where David says, as part of his prayer, My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. He says, in my heart, what I know I need to do is seek your face, Lord. And then he follows it up. And he says, your face, Lord, I will seek. Please note with me, David seeks the face of God, not the hand of God. Why is that important? Because a lot of times we just go to God with our requests. Here's what I want. Here's what I want. Here's what I want. Like we're seeking the hand of God. And God is a wonderful provider. He is the one who uh, every perfect gift comes down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change with shift like shifting shadows is what James tells us, okay? God is our provider. But we have to resist the temptation to always going to God about what we want to get. David went to God about who he is. David realized, I want to seek your face because I want to know you. It's more about knowing you than getting from you what I want. I just want to know you. Because in knowing God, that's when he will begin to satisfy those deepest longings of your heart. That's when he will bear witness to your soul about just waiting and trusting him. It's in knowing him. Seek his face. Resist the temptation to always seek his hand. Seek his face. Prayer is appealing to God. It is casting my cares on the Lord. It is making my requests known to him. It is seeking his wisdom. It is hearing his voice. We must be tuned in to God while we wait. Number three, and I'm going to say probably the least on this point, but it is probably nevertheless one of the most important points that we can see here in Psalm 27, is waiting is learning. Waiting is learning. Notice verse 11 where David says, Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a straight path. Teach me 
he says. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a straight path. David invites God to teach him while he waits. He realizes that there are lessons to be learned when things are on pause. Do you understand that? All of us in a period of waiting need to ask ourselves, what is God trying to teach me while I wait? We need to be asking ourselves, how is God growing me in ways I otherwise probably would not have grown had God did what I wanted when I wanted it? So it's important for us to ask, what are the lessons God is trying to to teach us? What is he trying to show us? You know, if you're in a waiting period, it is important that you ask God, what is it you're trying to teach me, Lord? What is it you are trying to grow? How are you trying to grow me and mature me? Because God will do that. And I'm convinced of this, okay? And I say this not with chapter and verse, but on the basis of overall principle of Scripture, in my opinion. I don't believe that God is going to answer our requests, even if it is according to His will, unless we first learn what He wants us to learn while we wait. Because God wants to prepare us. And if we are not learning the lessons while we wait, then we will not be ready to receive what we want, even if it is in accordance with his will. So learn the lessons that God wants to teach you while you wait. Seek his face. Say, Lord, what is it you're trying to teach me during this time that I otherwise would not have understood or learned if you had given me what I wanted when I wanted it? So while life is on pause in this area, Lord... What am I supposed to learn? Teach me. David said, teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a straight path. And then number four, waiting is trusting. And I put in parentheses just so we understand who or what we're trusting. We're trusting God and his timing. We're trusting God and his timing. In verse 13, David says, I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. What he means by that is, you know, Look, all of us understand, if you know Christ as your Savior, that the ultimate reward is heaven and that all things on earth will pale in comparison to the wonderful glories that await us in eternity. Okay, we get that, right? But David is also saying, despite the fact that one day when I go to heaven, I'm going to, you know, the, the riches of, of God's goodness is going to be so amazing that the world will just, you know, fade off in comparison. He's saying here, he says, yet I know this, I'm going to still see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. In my living days, I'm still going to see the goodness of the Lord. I don't know when necessarily, I don't know how or by what method, but I know this, that God is good, and I'm going to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Because God's timing is perfect. He is never late. He is never early. God is always on time. He is always on time, and we have to trust him, even though sometimes life will be put on pause. Consider some examples in the Bible of people who waited many years to get what they wanted or to be in a position where God had placed them. Moses. Moses waited 40 years from the time that God had told him he would be a deliverer for the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt until the time that he was actually sent back to Egypt To be that deliverer, 40 years. Jacob in the Bible waited 14 years for Rachel to be his wife. David waited 15 years from the time that that Samuel anointed him with oil as the king of Israel. 
when he was a boy until he actually assumed the throne. It was 15 years. And even then when he assumed the throne, he only assumed it over the tribe of Judah. It would be another seven years before he was king over the entire country. Abraham and Sarah were childless, waited 25 years after God's promise of a child before Isaac was born. Joseph, in the book of Genesis, wrongly accused, wrongly imprisoned, spent 13 years in the prime of his life in jail for a crime he did not commit until God then set him free and appointed him as prime minister of Egypt. Even Jesus waited 30 years from the time he was born until his ministry began, 30 years. I read this poster that I think summarizes this whole principle. Joseph waited 13 years. Abraham waited 25 years. Moses waited 40 years. Jesus waited 30 years. And on the bottom of the poster it says, if God is making you wait, you're in good company. Psalm 27, 14. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. You remember the story of Jesus and Lazarus? Lazarus, one of his best friends, a deacon at the church, was sick and dying. And his sisters sent word to Jesus where he was, that Lazarus was sick and dying. And what did Jesus do? He waited where he was two more days while Lazarus died. What kind of a friend is that? You get word that one of your closest friends is dying, and you just sit where you are for two more days because God's timing is perfect. And let me tell you what happened. When he got there, by the time he got there, traveling from where he was to the home of Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus, the Bible says Lazarus had been dead now for four days. And even Mary and Martha, and we can't read tone and inflection in the Bible, but I suppose it sounded to me, I think it sounded a little sassy when they both said to Jesus, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Don't think they said it with a smile on their face. Maybe they did. I don't think so. By the time he got there, Lazarus had been dead for four days. But I ask you, what is a bigger miracle? For Jesus to heal Lazarus from his sickness or for Jesus to raise Lazarus from the dead? You know why Jesus waited the extra time for Lazarus to be good and dead? So that more glory could come to the Father and more people's eyes could be opened to the wonder and the miracle of even Jesus, this Messiah, raising the dead. If you and I are consumed with God meeting our expectations, why should he be obligated to exceed them? In other words, perhaps God wants to do even more than what we're asking. And he's waiting because he has something even better in mind for you. Don't settle for less. In your impatience, don't be hasty for something that is second best. You wait on the Lord because what you expect he might want to exceed, but only in his timing will he bring those things to pass. Isaiah chapter 40 tells us that even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength, they will mount up with wings like eagles, they will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Wait on the Lord. Be strong 
and take heart and wait for the Lord. Amen. We're so glad you joined us for Pastor Gary's message today. We hope you've been blessed by this teaching in the book of Psalms and that God is whispering the words of comfort and strength to your heart. If you'd like to learn more about Cornerstone Connection, visit our website at cornerstoneconnection.cc. There you can hear all of Pastor Gary's messages through this book, as well as the entire Bible. Be sure to check out the companion resources while you're there, found under the Teachings tab. These digital study guides are meant to give you even more insight into some of the studies Pastor Gary has done and are available free of charge to you at cornerstoneconnection.cc. We'd love to connect with you and hear more about how God is working in your life. Feel free to join the conversation on our Facebook page or check out what's going on at Cornerstone Connection on Twitter or Instagram. We're here to chat with you in person too. So give us a call at 703-771-1500. Let us know how we can be praying for you That number again is 703-771-1500. That's all we have time for today. Pastor Gary will have much more to share from his verse-by-verse study through Psalms when you join us again, right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.